Well, first off, we want to welcome you and thank you so much for the time that you're giving to listen to this supplemental podcast of Cornerstone Baptist in Fort Worth. My name is Jeremy McNair. I'm the worship pastor at Cornerstone. I'm accompanied by a few people. Let's talk about who we are. Bobby Carroll. And I'm David Wilson. Awesome. And Bobby is our lead pastor. David runs all of our student ministries and both are speaking pastors here. We wanted to start this podcast as a way to provide some supplemental material as we go through the series and study of the book of 1 Corinthians. What you're going to find if you're a member at Cornerstone, if you're listening to us from far away, the content in the book of 1 Corinthians is just so vast that we can't cover it in a Sunday morning format. So what we're going to try to do is provide as much additional material as we can throughout the upcoming weeks and months. One of the ways we're going to do that is in this podcast, you might find some video devotionals coming out in the upcoming weeks. We have so many things that we'd like to share with you as we unpack and discover what this book is all about, what this letter is all about. So as we study, we want to make sure that you guys are fully engaged in what we're doing. There's a few ways to do that. One thing that we're going to try to really do is find a way to engage you as the listener and as the congregation of the church and try to answer as many of your questions as you can. If you have any questions as we go through this study in 1 Corinthians, whether it's on a Sunday morning or as you're listening to this podcast, we'd love for you to text message your questions to 817-809-3040. It'll send us a message and we'll be able to address as many of the most reasonable and universal questions as as we come up with. Also on Sunday morning, starting this Sunday, we'll be able to put that number on the screen. Right. We'll just leave it there in the background throughout the service. If a question pops up in the service or we say something that maybe is said in a new way, never heard it quite said that way, that makes me want to ask this question. You can just fire the question off. And when we come together as a staff, you know, at the first of the next week, then we'll pull those questions together. If we can work those questions into the message next week, we'll try, or we can address them in this format uh, via podcast in the following week. This is such a different way to engage with our, with our church family. It's not just one way as a sermon typically is, but now we're asking for a two-way communicative method of of information sharing. It's gonna be a really interesting and fun journey that we go on together. So David, I think you had the first question that we really want to discuss today. Yeah, so we wanna anticipate some of the things that might get asked or thought through um, as people are reading First Corinthians. Uh, particularly after this introduction, we wanted to kind of rehash some of the things that we were able to say this Sunday. Because again, like Pastor just mentioned, there might be brand new things that you have, haven't have heard, or maybe it's a thing you've heard, but in a slightly different way. So we wanted to kind of round back and talk about some of those things specifically. Pastor, I wanted to start off by asking, why did we name this series Zero Corinthians? Can you tell us the importance of that and why we did that? Sure. Well, the background for that question is we've been studying the book of Corinthians as a staff for, I would say, about two years now. Yeah. And we began this journey a few years ago as we were getting into some specific issues in the text. And we were saying, you know, really, we need to get to the backstory of why these questions are are coming out. Let me fast forward. In the last six months, the staff has literally gone through 1 Corinthians word by word, verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph. And we've given 
uh, hundreds of man hours to studying the book of First Corinthians. We're still learning. Let's say we got everything figured out and know it all. That's certainly not the case. But we have done our best to become good students yep. of the book. What you quickly realize when you read First Corinthians is, hey, something is going on here that I don't understand. You have literally arrived in the middle of a conversation, right in the middle of a ongoing running conflict between Paul and the people of Corinth. Which has this ever happened to you guys in real life? When let's say you walk into a room, you open the door and standing right in front of you are two people in the midst of a heated argument. Awkward. What do you do? Oh, it makes you uncomfortable. You just yeah. immediately retrace your steps backwards and slink quietly from hope the room. For the best, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, that's very much what's happening. When we yeah. approach the letter of First Corinthians, we find ourselves in the middle of a very heated argument between Paul and the church in Corinth. And in a moment like that, you're wondering, whose side do I take? Uh, why are they talking to each other in this way? Yeah. And so what you have to do to really understand First Corinthians is you have to recreate the backstory. What's already happened? What conversations have happened? What is the conflict about? Why are they talking this way to each other? And why are these the things, the situations that they're addressing? So, you know, two years ago, when we began this really study of 1 Corinthians, one of our first titles that we, you know, kind of bounced around between us was Corinthians, the prequel, which puts it in a very pop culture you know, kind of a movie understanding or a book setting where you read something or you watch a movie and you're like, wait, how did we get to here? There's got to be a lot of backstory to this Star Wars thing that we need to know about, you know, and there you write a whole series of prequels. Well, First Corinthians is very much the same. And so we played with the idea of prequel. If the people understood this is not really first Corinthians. It got named First Corinthians because it's the first letter to the Corinthians. Yeah, the first of two letters that were placed <laughs> yeah. in the canon of Scripture, placed in our Bible. Right. It is not the first exchange of letters, information, words, visits between Paul and the Corinthians. Yeah. It could be the fourth. It could be the fifth. And I would say at least the fourth or fifth. It could be that there were a dozen sure, such more. letters exchanged before we got to this point. The big point is. We called it Zero Corinthians, our study, because we constantly want the, the congregation, the hearers, we want them to understand, frame what you're reading, mm-hmm. frame what you're hearing in the context of there is a prequel to this. There's been a lot of conversations. Yeah. Paul and these Corinthians have a lot of history together. He lived here. He's traveled away. They've exchanged a bunch of conversations uh, via letter, via yeah. delegation. So there's, there's much history here. So you're saying we got to situate the letter within its frame, within its context. What's happening around Paul and the Corinthians, you have to situate what you're reading in order to get closer to the meaning that Paul is saying to the Corinthians. If you took it as a standalone letter, you're going to come to the wrong conclusions. Yeah. If you situate it, and I like your choice of words, because I think you did this intentionally probably, because the word situate is going to trigger then thoughts in our mind that this is called a situational letter by classification. It is a, 1 Corinthians is a situational letter written to address a very specific situation, which means 
It was written to a very certain people in a specific time, in a specific place, with a specific set of contextual problems, controversies, whatever, specific relationships. And Paul is speaking to that specificity in this letter. It is not random. It is not general. It is not a theological treatise. It's a situational letter, which is written to answer many other situational interactions (laughs) they've had previously. So we're going to call it zero, just so every time we talk about 1 Corinthians, our mind is triggered, put it in its context, there's other things happening, it's a situational letter. And I want to say it this way, when I hear zero, it reminds me to respect and be responsible to the text. So the way that I read it, I want to be respectful of what it is. It's a situational letter. And I want to be reminded over and over again that there's something happening here that I have to kind of work back together in order to understand the closer meaning. Right. As a letter in a series of letters, everything is a response. Right. And so we have to be constantly asking ourselves as we get into the text, what is he responding to? Right. Whether he's responding to an action or a report or maybe a question in a previous letter. Everything in the letter of 1 Corinthians is a response. Why did Paul say that? That is the question we'll ask over and over. Why did Paul say that? What did 0 Corinthians say that would trigger him to say such a thing? Correct. Or, yes, or what situation is he speaking to? Right. You know, so anyway, there's lots of, you have to approach 1 Corinthians with the understanding there's lots of backstory. This is not a letter where Paul is writing and saying, hi, I'm Paul. Good to meet you. Right. He knows these people. Very well. Yeah. He's lived with them. He knows them very well. And they know Paul pretty well as well. So these are known quantities speaking to each other in a running conversation that has become a running conflict between the founding pastor of the church and the members of that church. They are now in conflict with one another. So another thing that you said this past Sunday that uh, maybe grab some people or put them off guard or whatever, we want to make sure we explain that. You did well in the sermon to say it, but we want to really hash on this point because this is really important. You said something to the effect of the Bible was not written to you, but it was preserved for you. Can we retrace that a little bit just to just to re-talk through that? Sure. Let's start here. I can give you my own baggage at least, but if you grew up as I did inside the church, and this has been your journey, we bring some baggage to the table because we heard all of our lives, you know, the Bible is God's love letter to you. Well, yeah, that's what I heard. I I grew up with that very phrase constantly. It's God's love letter to you. Open the Bible and read it. This is God's love letter to you. Now, the danger of that is it sends the message to you that God told Paul and Peter and Isaiah, David and Moses, guys, sit down and write this letter to David and Jeremy. You know, this is what they need, that it was literally written to you. And that's just not the truth. The truth is, let's use 1 Corinthians as an example. Paul, to the church at Corinth, we know the writing times 53 to 55, AD, we have a certain date, a certain place, a certain time, a certain people. And as we read a certain set of situations, a situational letter written to the Corinthians, it was not written to Bobby Harrell or David Wilson or Jeremy or 
to the church at Cornerstone in Fort Worth, you know, circa 2021. It was written to a first century Corinthian congregation. Can you give me an example then why that could be dangerous if I read the Bible kind of in that flat, in that flat way where, where there's not really anything dynamic to the text or whatever, but really it's written directly to me. And so whatever I read, then what does it become application? Well, does you it use the word flat? So, that, you know, I guess the, the opposite way of reading this is, well, okay. So it's not God's love letter to me. It's written to the Corinthians. Well, who cares? Right. You know, that's, that was then. And this is now, and I don't care about their problems. I've got my own set of problems living in Fort Worth right now, you know, about pandemics and employment and, right. and my kids and my marriage and, and my own context. And, and really those are kind of the two extreme poles. I mean, let's, let's state your statement again. The Bible was not written to you, but it has been preserved for you. So uh, the Bible was written to the Jews or to Israel or the Jews in captivity in Babylon, or it was written to the Corinthians or to the Ephesians. Now that doesn't mean it's not, there's not something there for us. There's plenty there for us. This actually exposes a bigger problem. What you're bringing up, David, is now you've exposed the problem of how do we even approach the Bible on the whole? If it wasn't written to me, then why does God want me to read it? Yeah. Which now makes me say, why didn't God just write a Bible? If he wrote these things to the Jews, if Isaiah or Jeremiah, Jeremiah could write to the Jews in captivity, or if Paul could write to the Corinthians in the first century, then why aren't there still people writing letters to us to tell us what God wants us to know? Right. Why isn't God giving us a, a catechism, a very simple to follow sure outline of this is what I want you to know in Fort Worth in 2021. This is how to be a good Christian and a good follower of Christ. It appears, it is our belief uh, uh, that God has given us the Bible he wanted us to have, not the Bible we want. Right. We want to open our Bibles and just see, do this, do this, do this, do this, and you are good. Okay, this is what I require of you. Here are the challenges. So let me just throw it back to you guys. Can you anticipate challenges that would come if God just said, like, here are the rules? How long would the Bible have to be in order to accommodate every situation we might face? It would be infinitely long. And, and, yeah, you, yeah, you'd have to write something for every potential potential situation, every potentiality that could ever exist. Here's the step by step process by which you deal with this situation, and 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 if they respond this way, then here's how you'll have to respond. That would just be impossible. Well, and honestly, this is one of the biggest frustrations that people have in understanding the Word of God is that they take their situations and they take their context and they try to justify their context by overlaying it on top of scripture as opposed to taking scriptural concepts and using that as the overlay and framework by which to discern and understand your situation well and i think you brought up a really great example this this past uh, sunday you you quoted from first corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 uh for for he that is married you should act as though you're not married 
It's like if I read if I read the Bible uh, in that sort of way where it's all written directly to me, then I might walk away from that verse going, well, if I'm married, you know, I Paul to told like me, I'm not. Paul told me I need to not act like that any longer. And then you're going to start getting into actually you're going to start conflicting with other parts of God's Correct. word. Correct. In order to hold up what you read in this one other part. And and if that's the case, if the Bible isn't dynamic and, it, and, is there, and there isn't a point that Paul's trying to make in saying a statement like that, then I'm going to walk away completely confused and misunderstanding what he's trying to actually say. So you well laid out. It's a situational letter, which means it's not a theological treatise. Yeah. So therefore, you can't just go grab one verse or two verses or three, cobble them together with other verses. Yeah. Let's grab a verse from Leviticus and a verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and let's grab a verse here and there, and let's cobble it together and build this theology from these cobbled together verses. It's going to be heresy, I can already tell you. It's going to be way <laughs> out in left field. Right. And, and this is what is really confusing about the Scripture. Here's what God did. God gave the Bible in story form largely yeah. it's it's telling a story and if you're new to cornerstone i would challenge you to go back on uh sermon podcasts and find the covenants series that we did that backs way up and tells yeah. the thirty thousand foot view of scripture that it's the bible's really laid out in six covenants that serve as the framework for scripture if you can locate the covenant you're in it'll help you understand that part of the story and how it links to yeah. the next covenant. So the Bible's told in, in a story format, really, telling one big story. And it's not about taking a verse and a verse, hook them together, and now I build this, this belief system. It's about seeing the big picture of the story God's trying to tell, yeah. learn who God is, how he has always worked in history, what he's trying to do, what his intent is, which is clear from the it's really clear from about the third chapter of Genesis or so right? Absolutely, that he has created us in his image. He wants us to be image bearers. We have a divine yep. vocation. He's created this planet for our pleasure and his pleasure. And he expects us to rule and he expects us to populate this planet and be large and in charge. That is our destiny. <laughs> and it's not that God's not showing us and telling yep. us the story. It's that we've misread the story right. as... Again, a bunch of verses. We talked about this a little bit Sunday about reading the Bible again in paragraph form and reading letters through a letter at a time. Yeah. Re read the whole letter as if it were a letter, actually that a letter. Open up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere around 15, you can't get the date exactly right, 1551, somewhere in the, around in there, um, a man laid the Bible out in verse form. Right. And that caused us some problems. Now, it's easy because now we can say, as John said in John 1.14. Sure. Quick reference. Correct. Yeah. Um, but as far as a consumable format, yeah. right? We don't, we don't read any book no. separated by sentence. That's correct. No. And, and, and you would get so frustrated and the, the book would lose its flow. You would lose the plot. You would, you would lose the, the real beauty of whatever it is you're reading. Yeah. And you would get lost because everything's broken up so much. There'd be no flow to it. And we understand why there are verses. It really helps with sure. memorization. And hey, everybody turn to John chapter three, verse 16. Yeah. Let's hear what Jesus said to Nicodemus. But those verse numbers aren't holy by themselves. Oh no, they were added yeah. by, by people really late in the game, yeah. 1500 years. Yeah. For 1500 years, what people would have said instead 
hey, remember what John wrote when he was uh, remembering the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus? He wrote this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him, they wouldn't have said in John 3, verse 16, God records for it. It wouldn't wouldn't have come that way. It would have been a line from an ongoing story, from an ongoing conversation. So, you know, kind of circle this whole point you're making. Um, It is a letter that has to be read as a letter. And you're looking for the backstory to help it make sense. But the whole Bible is a story and you have to see how it fits into the other stories of the Bible. And the danger is if you don't read it in that way, you'll grab three or four verses that maybe jump off the page, cobble them together, and you'll build a... uh, A belief about God, a belief about yourself, a belief about others, a belief about how you're supposed to live. That will be incorrect. Right. That will be incorrect. And the danger is you'll you'll lose what the gospel's about. You you won't, in other words, we want to see the Bible, we want to see our lives really through the lens of of the gospel, but that all gets cloudy. Instead, we start seeing life through the lens of this, of of 1 Corinthians 7, 1 or John 3, 60. We start seeing our lives through the lens of a particular verse, not the larger story of the gospel and the life of Christ. Well, and what ends up happening is that we become the main characters of the story. (laughs) Correct. Whereas the grand narrative of the gospel and of God's word as a whole, we are very supplemental to the narrative (laughs) that's being told here. Yeah. Yeah. It's about God. It's about Jesus. And it's about how we fit into what he is doing and how he's advancing his kingdom. And I think that that's really interesting. You've brought up that if it was just a list of rules and all that kind of stuff, then wouldn't we just be so much better off? We wouldn't. But we already, that was already tried. You know what I'm saying? That, that, where, where was it tried, David? Where, where was it tried? If you open up your book to Leviticus, yeah, here <laughs> you, you can go. find the list of rules that you're supposed to follow. And yet that wasn't adequate for people to have the brand new hearts and spirits they needed. So what did they do with that list? So God gave a list of rules That's to right. Moses. What then did those people do with that list of rules? Well, well, they distort it in a sense. They distort it by just by following the letter of this law and not understanding that there's a purpose behind it, which is to yeah. know God's heart and to know who he is, know about him and how to please him in the correct way. And then they felt like, well, those rules may not address every situation. So let's do now. Oh, yeah. Write now, the oral Mishnah. Right. Let, let's, right. let's create a whole another set of rules yep. to supplement the first set of rules. Yep. In other words, the, the rule, there's a never-ending expansion of rules because yeah. you're always going to find a situation. You're going to say, oh, rule 37 doesn't address this. Right. We, we need 37 A, B, C, D. Yes. We need to add some more rules to cover this situation. In life. So God, God is not like that. God's not a rule. He didn't, of, he didn't want to make the, a new IRS tax form that you oh, have to it's, go. Yeah, it's mind-numbing. Yeah. You wouldn't want that. No. Well, in fact, there are portions even in 1 Corinthians where Paul speaks directly against this kind of mentality. That's absolutely true. There's a moment where Paul quotes the law uh, about uh, not muzzling your ox while he's eating in the field. And, but he doesn't talk about it in a literal application sense. He's not talking about oxen. He's talking about the fact that you should pay your pastors. So he's using the law principally because what's behind the law is the wisdom and heart of God. And that's what we're supposed to see. So again, he sees the principle in scripture, not the exact words. Right. You know, it's not really about an ox. Yeah. 
it's really about how you treat people, right? How you treat the person who works for you and serves you. That's right. Like the ox helps the farmer. Yeah. So you feed him while he's, while so he's take, working. Take yeah, care of the ox. Of he's taking care of you yeah. by plowing your field, your pastoral leadership in the verse you quoted are caring for you spiritually, right. for your souls, for your family, for your children, love them and, and, and care for them. Of course, you understand they're in an argument and uh, <laughs> yeah. he's appealing to the, anyway. So uh, you don't have the Bible you necessarily want. Right. Let's go back to this again. You have the Bible God wanted you to have. Right. And we believe he has preserved the scripture for us. Right. So here's evidently what God believes. Yeah. God believes that you can read someone else's mail. And not just, I'm not saying like, go get your neighbor's mail and read <laughs> yes. it. But when you're reading the New Testament, you're reading letters written to yeah. other people. Listen, between a slave and slave owner, mm-hmm. conflict, the Corinthians, Timothy trying to minister in Ephesus, yep. John writing to the churches in Asia Minor, that Johannine community of, of, you know, when you're reading the Bible, you're reading writings that were written to other people in another place and time and setting. Yeah. But God believes so powerfully in his Holy Spirit. Right. Let me say it another way. God believes in himself so strongly that he can allow you to read a letter written to the Corinthians. And while you're reading Paul and the Corinthians mail, God believes that the Holy Spirit will take those sacred writings and he will speak to your heart about some situation in your own family or something in your own church or something in your own heart or something in your own life that he needs to address so that he can transform you by his spirit to be more like Jesus Christ. That's right. That's really the way the Bible works for us. Yeah. And we were talking about in first Corinthians, how, uh, how relevant the topics are. I mean, it's about oh, sexual relationships. It's about just relationships in general. Marriage. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, it's about pre-marriage. personal rights. Yeah. yeah. Pre-marriage. I mean, there, there are so many things in this letter that deal with where we are right now that transcend a particular moment. And so what it seems like the spirit believes, what the Holy Spirit believes is that we can learn from these particular situations in a principled way to know how to apply what Jesus tells us in the new law, which is to love God and love others. Well, how do we do that? We can't come up with a list of rules in order to figure that out. But what we do have is a set of situations, a set of of letters that deal with particular things that then we can learn from and then apply back into our lives, even though we're, we're separated by this gap of time, um, this gap of culture, it, it still doesn't change the essential nature of a relationship, the essential nature of how God wants us to, to act sexually with our marriage partner. It doesn't change how we're supposed to, um, love our weaker brother, right. uh, how I, we're going to respond to each other in community. That's right. And how you need unity. to yield sometimes. That's right. Yes, you have rights, but sometimes, as we'll see in coming chapters, set those, those set those aside in that's order right. for somebody else to have their rights asserted at this moment. And that's okay. But David, just like you said, every very specific situation is always underlined by a principle right. that is still very true and very much active in today. And you'll find much of those principles circle right back to that Sermon on the Mount that's type right. dialogue that's right. where you just mentioned a few minutes ago where it's love God, it's love your neighbor. It's right. live out this new morality, live out the life of Christ, essentially. Because that whole law is fulfilled in those, in those two statements. And if we do that, it solves. It is yes. the answer to all of these situational yes. problems. Yeah. That's correct. 
So, so that, that kind of brings up, um, like how, how then, how then am I supposed to, uh, come to these texts? How am I supposed to respect them and read them responsibly in my own personal time? Cause like what I, what I think of is, okay, well, I'm supposed to do my Bible study time. So I'm just going to read a chapter or read a verse and then I'm good for the day. Or is there something maybe more or something more responsible that I can do? Maybe only I'll have time to read one chapter. How am I supposed to do that? I'm just, I'm just curious what you guys would think about that. How, how do I read this word responsibly in order to treat it as a letter to, I know it's occasional now. I know all these things. So then what do I do moving forward as I'm able to read the word? What should I be doing? Well, that's a loaded question with (laughs) hours of teaching, but let me say this. Uh, uh, One of the, one of the men who has been very influential in, in our ministries is a theologian named Gordon Fee. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's helped all of us uh, see things, in a, we think, in a more biblical way. Yeah. And great book that he wrote, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. We, we think that ought to be required reading by every, <laughs> yeah. every cornerstone church member. We'll be doing, hopefully later this year, some Wednesday night modules on that book. and I use this book in my discipleship as supplemental material for people that are, that are through coming near the end of the discipleship process. So I want to just set that up because yeah. the, the real thing discussed in the book is how to approach the scriptures yeah. to understand that there's different types of literature. The Bible is literature. Yeah. It's a book that has poetry in it. It's a book that has history in it. Yeah. It's a book that has biography in it. It's a book that has letters and some would even make a distinction between a letter and epistle, you know, that there are two very specific types of letter, if you would. One's to a specific person and others maybe to a church community. That's going to be intended to be circulated. Sure. Uh, The Bible contains this crazy type of literature known as apocalypse, which is a whole (laughs) other thing to itself, you know, and there's some just really symbolic way out there. Of course, his book of Revelation we're speaking about and some way out there type language in that style of literature. And uh, it's another reason that it's not just about seeing different types of literature there. And so when you move from Acts to Romans, it's not just as simple as turning the page and keep reading. Oh my goodness. Acts is about a very specific Acts is about the history of the sent ones. Yeah. The apostles, that's what the word means. Is there they, a narrative in nature? Oh, and it's, it's like, hey, here's a history of the early church. Right. Watch the sent ones and that Jesus has died and gone to heaven. And he told them to go make disciples and preach the yeah. gospel and expand the kingdom. Watch them do it now. Yeah. Here's how. Yeah. Okay. But now you turn the page and yeah. you're in the book of Romans. Right. Romans is a very different type of book. Yeah. And it is a theological treatise right. where you can take a verse and really build you know, something on yeah. just individual verses, very different stuff. But you leave Romans now. And we're in First Corinthians all of a sudden. And you turn the page and you, <laughs> le- you leave a theological treatise and suddenly you're now reading someone's mail. Yeah. So David, I guess to answer the question, how, how do you approach a text responsibly? Yeah. Well, first you have to know exactly what kind of text it is. That is correct. Yeah. Right? I, yeah. can't, I can't go into a book of the Bible that's really a letter yeah. and expect it to be purely narrative in nature. Right. I, can't, I can't go into a poetic book of the Bible expecting it to be a letter. No more than you could go into the public library <laughs> That's right. and take 
66 books take a book on a basket weaving and a book on Roman history (laughs) and a book on photography. If you jammed all of those together and then rebound them into one volume, the 66 books of Jeremy's Bible, and people begin to thumb through the book, they would be totally confused because there's different things. There's biographies in here. There's, uh, you know, there's all kinds of things collected together. It's the equivalent of putting a CD on a turntable. You know, it's, yeah, yeah, they might, they may do similar things, but it's just not the same format. And it's important to recognize the format. So as we approach a text responsibly, you have to understand the format. Something that's always been helpful to me too is, and I can tell you different types of resources, but the principle is this, whenever I begin to read a new book in my Bible, I try to get a little bit of background information on that book. Mm -hmm. That's done through maybe a study Bibles or famous Mm -hmm for having a few paragraphs at yep, the beginning. Yep. And so, for example, so if you had a study Bible and you opened to first Corinthians, it would say something like this book was written somewhere between 53 and 55 AD in the springtime. Yeah. In other words, it would have several paragraphs yeah. explaining what you're about to read that puts it in some context. Right. Okay. So a study Bible is helpful on that. And there are other resources that that's what they do now. Largely, this is what we did Sunday. That's right. Notice it was a very long sermon Sunday. It ran like an hour and one minute, which is incredible. Which again, that sermon is available on our website at cbc.family slash media. And the reason it's so long, every time we have to set up, whether it's the book of Romans, first Corinthians, or whatever we're studying, we have to be so exhaustive and methodical. Yeah. Because if you don't get that part right, what's coming won't make sense. So we took a lot of time Sunday to carefully say, let's work through some introductory remarks, which contextualize, let me say it in a different way, which fix your mind in in 53 AD in the springtime, where Paul maybe is sitting in Ephesus, is receiving a delegation of people. And he's got letters stacked up on his desk that have come from Corinth. And he's like, hey, Chihuahua, these people, they are, they are really, you know, not getting it. And now a delegation arrives and these guys say, hey, we have a report from Chloe. Things are completely deteriorating in Corinth. Yeah. The church now is divided. And there's a consensus among many, maybe, or maybe a few, I'm not sure. But they don't even think you're filled with the Spirit. The very founder of the church who led them to Christ. I don't even think you're a spiritual person because you talk so sarcastic to them. And <laughs> right. Paul's like, look, look at my desk. It's covered in letters from these people yeah. and complaints and controversies and scandals are piling up here. Yeah. Right. Well, that context is very important. It helps us yeah. understand what we're about to read. That's knowing that style, knowing that form. And then when I start to read the verses and I start to read the chapters, I can begin to link all of these things together and really understand. You were saying a church member came up to you this past Sunday and said, Paul seems kind of sassy. Yeah. Is that true? Well, they, they said <laughs> in anticipation of the series, I went yeah. ahead and read the whole book. Right. Now, which, which, by the way, is a great oh, thing yeah. to do, by the way. Yeah. That gives you a really good understanding of what you're about to read. And their conclusion. In the, in the minutia. Yeah. Paul is really snarky to these people. Okay. <laughs> Which and I think yeah. that is a, an appropriate that's reading an, at times. It is. Yes. Now, we contextualized it Sunday with the introduction. Sure. Sure. That, that member then said to us on Sunday morning, 
Oh, I get it now. Yeah. I understand why the tone is the tone. That's right. And I understand some of that exchange, even though you haven't explained the whole book yet. I'm already starting to come to a new understanding. And that's what context will do for us. Something that looks like it says left suddenly is now right. You know, something we saw as black is suddenly white because we see it in a whole new light now. So again, with, again, reading responsibly, you have to know the format. We just kind of talked through understanding the setting and then you have to be able to understand some of the characters to really know where they're coming from in this writing. When we go to the book of first Corinthians, the very first word introduces us to the author, Paul. We also find out in addition to uh, Christ Jesus, uh, we also have Sosthenes throughout this this letter uh, being a major character. We, we want to talk just a little bit about who Paul was and who Sosthenes was and why they're important to this whole ordeal. So, Bobby, why, why don't you just give me a, a few minutes of a biography of Paul? To biographize. To biographize Paul. <laughs> Paul. Yes, okay. please. Uh, Paul. So, let's just go back somewhat. So, Paul lives in Asia Minor, lives in a city called Tarsus, and his name's not Paul. That's the beginning of the story, okay? So that's what we can piece together from history. That name is actually Saul. A radical departure. Saul. Yeah, we change one letter. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, as they, I think they pronounce it Shaul or okay. Saul. Okay. Uh, but it, it's Saul. Saul of Tarsus. Obviously, the city of Tarsus. What we learn is he's from a Jewish family. They're Jews. What we learn historically is that the city of Tarsus itself was one of these Roman outposts. And as Rome began to conquer the world, the city of Tarsus in Asia Minor became allied to Rome. In other words, rather than resisting and and revolting against Rome and saying, no way, you're not coming in here. They said, yes, come on in. We'll facilitate your colonization, the spread of your empire. And because the city of Tarsus was pro-Roman, they were loyal to Rome, the Romans passed an edict and gave Roman citizenship to the citizens of Tarsus. Now, this is no small thing. That Roman citizenship, I don't know what else to equate it to except U.S. citizenship. People want to come to the United States of America. They would love to have your blue passports. They would love to have the rights, the privileges, the protections, uh, all that comes with being a citizen of your country. Rome was the most powerful nation of its day, obviously. And so Roman citizenship was a very big deal to the people of Tarsus. Let's fast forward the story. So Saul is living in Tarsus. He's from Jewish family. We discover that the young man's brilliant. He's he's a pretty sharp cookie. And he's uh, what we call a zealot. He's very on fire for Judaism. He is a follower of Judaism, Jehovah God, monotheism, and which is in contrast to most of the Roman world of his time, which is, you know, polytheistic, full of idolatry, etc. And so Paul emerges as a young man who wants to know more and more about God. And ultimately, the way to get there, because they don't have universities like we do or seminaries like we do. Pastor David, you actually taught this, this sermon uh, several weeks ago about discipleship. Yep. Discipleship was the Jewish model of higher education. That's right. And there were several famous, famous disciple makers. Yeah. And when I say that, I'm not saying it in the Christian context. Now I'm saying it in the education context. Right. For example, 
the most famous legal mind, and I use legal again as religious legal. Yeah, I mean, in, in relation to the Levitical law. Right. Was a, was a, uh, a Jewish scholar, famous in all of Israel, yes. and really beyond the borders of Israel. Right. His name is Gamaliel. Mm-hmm. He's the equivalent of Harvard Law to us. Yeah. If, you know, I read somewhere not long ago that if you, go, if you get accepted into Harvard Law, it really doesn't matter what form of law you study, and it really doesn't matter whether you are first in the class or last in the class. Your ticket is punched. Just yeah. having been. Just having been a graduate of Harvard, you are going to the best companies in the world, right. or the best positions in the government, and you're going to be a millionaire, and your kids are probably going to get into Harvard, and you really, you're, the, the, you, you've got it made. Uh, yeah. Your ticket is punched for your whole family. So. It was similar to that. Right. If you could become a student of Gamaliel, yeah. you were accepted to Harvard Law. Well, lo and behold, Saul of Tarsus, the young man, yes. becomes a disciple of this famous law teacher, Gamaliel. Uh, he shows up several times in the Bible. He's advising the elders of Israel on matters. And uh, he's a wise man uh, in the Jewish tradition. Paul then becomes, as his pupil, famous, a famous Jewish zealot, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, Paul calls himself. I mean, I'm like the uber Pharisee. I'm like, I'm the rule keeper of all rule keepers. I'm the Jew of all Jews. I am so zealous for Jehovah God and for the Jewish religion that actually he became, I don't really know how to characterize it to a modern American, except like a terrorist, Mm. a terrorist for Judaism. He would kill you and the Jews saw the young man as such a force for Judaism that eventually the high priests and elders of Israel would write papers, let or arrest warrants. That's what would, right. the, what yeah. would those papers be? Uh, yeah, papers kill, of kill, recommendation, kill orders. That's right. Yeah, uh, you know, this is like James license to kill. Yeah, exactly. He had, had written <laughs> yeah. orders from the government yeah. that said, "You are licensed to arrest, kill, yeah. whatever, in the name of God." Yeah, in the name well, of Israel, Scott. Because they knew that he was so loyal to that cause. That's right. That's, that's right. right. And that's where you really find him then in the New Testament when his story is being told. He's going to arrest Christians and, and not just slap them on the hand. Right. These are people that are going to be killed for becoming Christ followers now. And again, remember the Christ follower movement began in Israel. Yeah. Jesus is a Jew and his followers are Jews. And the Jews are really threatened by this new religious movement yeah. that has talked about destroying the temple and, and going all over the world. Yeah. They're very There's threatened. A new king. Correct. Yeah, new king. This. And it's not Herod. Right. And anyway, so as Christianity is now spreading, Paul has arrest warrants and he's going to Damascus, Syria to wipe out a band of uh, Jews uh, uh, that have become Christ followers, yeah. where he encounters then the risen Christ. And that is all chronicled in Paul's testimony in the scripture. And he encounters the risen Christ, whether you want to say very literally or in a vision, uh, it's really hard to decipher, but the way he describes it is he's riding, riding on his stallion and suddenly he's knocked into the dirt and he's looking up <laughs> and saying, what just happened? Who are you? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Right. You're about to stand down or come to a confrontation with me that you're not going to, anyway, he's a literal come to a Jesus literal meeting. come to yeah. Jesus meeting in the dust of the, on the bar ditch of the highway. 
And so we, the short story is then he puts his faith in Jesus. He realizes that the Christ story they've been telling, the gospel, yeah. let's use that word now, the gospel that the apostles, the sent ones, yeah. the disciples of Christ have been speaking is a true witness. The That's gospel right. is real. And this gospel conforms with the new covenant that the prophets of old, which he would have studied very closely, is now culminating in. So watch this metaphor, David. So he has, when that encounter with Christ, he's blinded. Yeah. Sees a bright light, so bright that it blinds him, if you would. Yeah. And the Bible says as if scales were on his eyes, like right. a, some covering. He just was blind. They led him, by the, led him into Damascus, a blind man. Now, he's told to go find a Christ follower. Right. And the Christ follower will tell him what to do. Can you imagine the Christ followers terrified? Surely he knows <laughs> yeah. the notoriety. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, Osama's in town. We want you to have H- a meeting. Host him for dinner. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wow. And you're just like, yeah. man, no way. This, this, I, surely I misunderstand what God's telling me. Anyway, that guy's a hero in Christianity. And we never even talked about him yeah. who overcame his fears to go engage Saul of Tarsus. Yeah. And anyway, in this moment, he's going to now be changed. Yeah. He's going to receive Christ as his savior. And the scales fall from his eyes in the story. Now, I'm just going to say something you just said. He will now see the Old Testament through a completely different set of eyes. Having witnessed Christ personally, he's now going to see the prophets when they say, like Isaiah 53, or a Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst. He's going to start seeing all of these Old Testament passages through the lenses of being a Christ follower, yes. through the gospel. Yes. And that will be his message going forward. So yeah. it will not be unusual for Paul to hearken back to the Old Testament now in these writings, right. grab some statement from Jeremiah or Isaiah or David, and recontextualize it in light of, in light of Christ to the Corinthians, That's for right. example, That's which right. we'll point out as we go through the book. Yeah. Watch Paul, who would have read Isaiah one way, now read Isaiah a completely different way because he sees differently. That's right. He, he sees the fulfillment of what Isaiah is talking about right. happening or having happened and now happening. And in this, what spiritual transformation is all right. about. Just right. Listen to my English language now. You ever been in a conversation and somebody said, I just don't see it that way. I just don't see it that way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and what, what our Christian journey should be is it should be now a lifetime of us saying, I see it differently now. Right. Wow. And I can even say from where I am right now to where I was a few years ago, and I think you guys could witness the same thing. We see some things differently. That's right. Because that speaks not to compromise. Mm -hmm. Right. It speaks to spiritual growth. Yeah. I'm seeing as, as the Holy Spirit transforms me, I'm seeing things differently. And I want to see them ultimately as God sees them. Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't happen overnight for any of us and not for Paul either. We're, yeah. we're transformed in our salvation experience. And that's a, it's a big lens change Absolutely. for sure. Absolutely. But those lenses are going to get more defined as we know. walk with Christ. That's you know, right. as I, as I, as I age now, I have to go, you know, obviously the eye doctor every year, just. Like people my age have to, and you know, they're looking for cataracts and they're looking at my vision and saying, and it's not uncommon for the doctor to tweak my prescription from time to time. Sure. And because I am changing biologically, listen, I just want to say to everyone listening, 
you may have been in church all your life, or you may just be a year or two into following Christ. It's a journey, and a, it doesn't, it's not a journey of a day. It's a journey of a lifetime. Expect your vision to change. Yeah. Expect to see issues that we're dealing with in America differently than maybe you saw them a few years ago because something's happening spiritually in your heart yeah. that causes you to see them differently. You have a fuller perspective. Exactly. Well, and actually, that, that's a really great segue into kind of introducing some more of these characters in the story. So Paul sees differently. He's looking at the Old Testament scriptures, uh, his, his Judaism, not as a bad thing necessarily, but he sees the new thing that's happened in Christ. And so when he goes to new cities on these missionary journeys that he takes, he goes and speaks to the Jews first. Because they are the ones that should understand, should know what's happening from the Old Testament and how now Jesus fulfills those things. And, and so he goes and he debates with these guys. And actually in Acts chapter 18, when Paul is in Corinth, you actually see this same moment. Because remember, Acts is now a narrative That's moment right. where we're looking at the actual history of what the New Testament church looks like after yes. Christ's resurrection. Yes. So Paul goes to in Whenever he goes to a new city, he typically will engage, just as you said, with the Jews. Right. And isn't it obvious why? He would have more in common with them. They already have the same basis. Than with anybody in That's town. Right. So if you're trying to argue, and I, don't, I mean that in a persuasive way, right. not, not in a combative way. If you're trying to give witness to the fact that Christ, Jesus is that very Messiah, that the Old Testament prophets spoke about. He is the fulfillment. He is the new covenant that you've been looking for. Yeah. He is the way for hearts to be changed. He is everything, the fulfillment of, of those covenants. Yep. You, you would think that that's where you would start. Let's go talk to people who at least are familiar with the Old Testament, yeah. who have read the prophets, who believe in, I'm going to a town full of idolaters. Let's at least start with the people that are monotheistic who believe in one true Jehovah God. It's a fairly safe bet. <laughs> that that's where you would start. Yeah. Plus he being a Jew and being a, if you would, a PhD of the Old Testament. Yeah. He's going to be a respected teacher that is probably going to be invited in, actually. A, a Gamaliel student. Yeah. He comes course. in with his Harvard Law degree. Of course we're going to let him speak. Brother Paul, would you like to say something in the synagogue <laughs> today? We know you studied under Gamaliel. Yeah. Well, but instead of talking about, you know, Maybe what they expected, he would segue quickly to the gospel yeah. and the kingdom of God. And that would be his starting point. Well, and this is exactly the story that we see again in Acts chapter 18, when Paul first comes to Corinth, where David, where was the first place he went? Verse four, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. So here it's, he's <laughs> taking his very particular vantage point. Yeah. And he's allowing that to speak to as, as universal of a crowd as he can, yep. right? Yeah, and actually, so as you're reading this week, when you're in chapters 1 and 2, you're going to find some names that are mentioned um, at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. You're going to find those same names mentioned in Acts chapter 18. We have a guy named Sosthenes that we've talked about. We have another guy named Crispus, and both of these guys are mentioned in this story in Acts chapter 18. Both of them, which is interesting were at one time the synagogue leader. So you can imagine how Paul is maybe connected with them on a deeper level, understanding his past. That's right. And in, it talks about in, in verse 8 of Acts chapter 18, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord along with his whole household 
And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. You know, one thing that I love about this, that's right before this verse, is Paul actually moves in right next door to the synagogue oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. with well, the intention of reaching yeah. them. Yeah. He goes to the synagogue. They don't like him. And he's like, okay, well, I'll get out of here. He goes next door. He just moves in <laughs> next door. Yeah. yeah. Rents an apartment next door. So, but what happens is that the synagogue leader, Crispus, ends up coming to know the Lord as well as his entire household. And we have to assume, we're reading between the lines in scripture here, but we have to assume that shortly thereafter, as a believer now, he's no longer the synagogue leader. That's right. And, and, so, and so then there seems to be some conflict that arises because Paul's there for a year and a half. And so there's a conflict that arises between what Paul's doing, targeting these Jewish synagogue leaders and Jewish people who understand the scriptures, and between a faction within the Jewish synagogue who don't want to buy into what Paul's talking about. We don't believe Jesus is Lord. We don't, we don't buy into all your nonsense. And so there's a conflict that then arises. They bring this conflict to the Roman leader. Magistrate, the leader That's of the, right. yeah, the Roman ruler over the, over the city. And they want him, Gallio, to mediate this, this conflict or to really, not really mediate, but really to get after these Christian people. Yeah, they want to punish the Christians yeah. and Paul. That's oh, because in trouble. The, the exact argument is they say this man is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. That's right. And That's so right. the Roman ruler says, though, not the Roman law. Right. The but, Roman law, the Romans allowed people, yeah. you know, some leeway in their worship. He said it's a matter of the Jewish law. But you want the Roman governor to weigh in on the Jewish law. I'm not a I'm not a gonna weigh in on the Jewish law. You guys resolve this matter yourselves. Right. So how did they resolve the matter? <laughs> so they take the new synagogue leader, who the, we think might be the same guy you're reading about, who's probably writing actually the Sosthenes. letter of First Corinthians. They take him in verse 17. Uh, and they see, they all seize Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But none of these things mattered to Gallio. Again, so, he said it wasn't even reasonable to, and I quote, put up with you Jews. <laughs> He's just washing his hands of the matter and saying, this is a, yes. this is just a religious argument. You guys just leave me alone. Get out of here. Right. Well, they didn't get out. Well, here's how they dealt with it. They beat the guy to a pulp. Right. And, and again, you got to put this in, put this in the context. Anytime the Jews would would uh, bring their religious issues to the secular powers of the day, Rome, whoever, there was always some weird revolt thing that might happen. Correct. And so the Romans are probably thinking, we don't want this to happen in our place. Yep. We've seen it happen elsewhere. We don't want it to happen in our place. And so then what's very likely is a group of Greeks and probably Jews take Sosthenes and beat this guy up for bringing this as even an issue in front of Gallio. Yeah, as a way to almost prove their allegiance. Yeah, we're not yeah. we're not aligned with these guys. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's a little bit twofold. I, we are loyal to Rome is what right. it says. Yeah. But also to everybody who's watching, yeah. if you go against the customs here in Corinth, this could happen to you. Yeah. It's a very public beating yeah. that he took place. Humiliating. I, I don't mean a hand slap. I mean, they beat the guy to a bloody pulp. Right. And that would have been the context of the day. You know what I love about this story, though? I, I love what's not said. Yeah. So this is really the last place that we hear about Sosthenes, the right. synagogue leader in the, chap in the book of Acts. This is, this is the end of his story here. And it would have been the end of the story if Paul wasn't the kind of guy who yeah. moves in next door to a synagogue to reach his leader. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so what we don't know, but we have to assume, is that at some point, Paul took Sosthenes under his wing. Yeah. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in the very first verse, 
what do we call Sosthenes now? Yeah, he's our brother. Our brother. He's our brother who was once a man who led a revolt against the gospel being established. Yeah. The man who once led the revolution against the gospel <laughs> right. is now our brother in Christ. And that's a wonderful... That sounds a lot like Paul. It Paul. sounds a lot like Paul. You can, <laughs> Paul. you can understand why Paul was drawn to people yeah. like that's this. Paul, the one who stoned Stephen right. for preaching the gospel, yeah. Yeah. now is looking at Sosthenes and says, I, I mean, I'm just, again, I'm projecting and I'm, sure. I'm imagining, but this, but this is what the Bible wants you to do. Yeah. I'm looking through Paul's eyes right now at Sosthenes as Paul watches Sosthenes be beat yeah. publicly. And Paul looks at Sosthenes and says, you know what? That's me. Yeah. That I, I'm right there in this story. Yeah. And I was just like this guy, just, you know, so strong for Judaism. And I couldn't see Christ was the fulfillment of Judaism. And so I think Paul has incredible compassion for yeah. these two synagogue leaders, Crispus and Sosthenes. Who we're going to hear from again. Yes. Correct. In 1 Corinthians. That's so right. so that right. Sosthenes, it looks like. I haven't actually asked you guys. We can weigh in right now. Looks like he's the guy who actually has the pen in his hand. Yes. That, yeah. That's that. And every commentary and every you know expert we read on First Corinthians, that's what seems to be happening here is that Sosthenes is the one writing that, which means he's not just listening to Paul and writing it down. It means they're having a conversation. Many people even call him a co-author. That, exactly. That's exactly right. the right way to say it. Because co-author. He, because he understands he is from Corinth. Right. Right. He knows their context better <laughs> than anybody. He knows the context probably better than Paul. Yeah. And as they're, they're talking, you know, it might even be reasonable for Sosthenes to say, yeah, why don't we just change this one word and say it like this? Well, he's also a synagogue yeah. leader. He's a learned man in Judaism. Yeah. You've got two Titan minds coming together to write this letter to make it as pointed as possible, but also as directed, not just towards the people, but directed towards Jesus as possible. And you know what? There's even times when you're reading the book of First Corinthians where you can see a dialogue happening between Paul and <laughs> yeah, Sosthenes right. as it's being written. As it's that's being right. written. We'll I, get to that I can't Sunday wait morning. to get to that. Because get, it's, yeah, when we unveil chapter one Sunday, you know, there'll be a little side dialogue right there yeah, right. in the middle of the writing. That's right. Yeah. And it gets recorded. So it's funny. They <laughs> yeah, just record, great. you know, they should write it, write no. it down. Yeah. You got to think after maybe the first, second, third draft, whatever, the, you know, Sosthenes is just like, ah, oh, I'll just put it in, you know, yeah. just put it in. He doesn't want yeah. to write it. It almost else. sounds like Paul's not remembering it right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And Sosthenes is trying to say, like, no, hey, don't forget. No, forget who you, wait. Yeah. You did baptize some people. <laughs> and then, and then you, you see Paul say, oh, oops, I forgot. Thank you, Sosthenes. Yeah, exactly. yeah it, it's funny the way that's recorded. So these characters, seeing them kind of in their place, it really helps to kind of make this letter real. It's not, again, like you said, it's not just a theological textbook that we're supposed to read and pull out, you know, ABC. This is, these are the answers to the quiz, you know, yeah. really, really what it seems like is we're looking at a vibrant community that's communicating back and forth. There are specific issues that Paul and the brothers and, and the sisters are dealing with. And then how are we going to essentially refocus our minds and our attentions back on Jesus looking through our looking at the, our entire lives through the lens of the gospel as we answer this big question that you've brought up, which is who are spiritual people? Yeah. What, what does it mean to be spiritual people? Yeah. They're, they're just struggling with that. Is that, you know, speaking in tongues? Is yeah. that, you know, this Greco-Roman thirst for knowledge and philosophy. You'll see wisdom all over this book as well. The word will show up everywhere. And they are, they're celebrating their open-mindedness in all the wrong ways. Right. And they're saying, well, because we're so open-minded about sexuality, we don't care who sleeps in what bed, 
it's all good. Right. On what occasion we don't get. So just open-minded about that, open-minded about taking religious services like communion. Yeah. And adapting them to some bizarre thing, uh, you know, where some people are getting left out, which is the exact opposite of what communion is actually about. <laughs> yeah. And, right. Uh, right. Anyway, they just see we allow all of this uh, sinfulness. We're so open-minded. Therefore, we are very spiritual people, yeah. which to us is, you know, just sounds crazy to have that sure. kind of thinking. But that was their thinking. And it was their sincerely held belief that now Paul is trying to negate through this letter. That is correct. And now, now you see Paul's tone as being maybe harsh on the surface. Right. But you have to know that Sosthenes and Paul, they are heavily invested in this community yeah. relationally. Yeah. They love these people. These are, you know, I use Sosthenes context. He, he, he may have known these people all his life. Right. He may have known them for decades. These are his neighbors. These are his friends. You know, that's where I get my coffee. This is who bakes my bread. This is the, the local fish salesman down. You knew these people in the community and yeah. you loved them and you have, you, you want their lives to be, you want this to be a corrective. Yeah. It's not just blowing you up. We're trying to get you <laughs> to spirit, to true yeah. spiritual maturity by getting you to see it differently. Yeah. See through the lenses of the gospel what real spirituality is about, and it's not about the things you think it's about. Well, I can't wait to get more into this letter. We're going to be looking at chapter one, I believe, coming over the next. That's great. Uh, and actually, we're going to walk through pretty slowly the first uh, four chapters of the book on purpose, because we want to really walk through this paragraph style of looking at the scripture uh, looking at the big idea of each paragraph, understanding how they all fit together into Paul's overall idea for each chapter. We want to look at specific things to kind of model what it would look like for you in your own study time. And then as we get towards later in the book, we're going to start putting themes together and sure. putting chapters together as you start to build some of those skills yourself. They, we can go faster. That's right. yeah, there will be the a shift in pace. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just really looking forward yeah. to this book. The, yeah. the, you, you said it, we spent lots and lots of hours studying this thing and I'm really, I just think this book is so relevant. Yeah. Again, if you have any questions as you're doing your own personal study, as you listen to the podcasts or watch any of the devotionals, as you're listening to the sermons on Sundays, if you have any questions that you'd like to give us feedback with, Go ahead and text the number 817-809-3040 with your questions. Again, all of the previous sermons and content are available at cbc.family/media. The podcasts are also available in all of your major podcasting platforms. So we'd love to connect with you and allow this to continue to be a two-way conversation as you guys give us input for content as it's being developed. And as you interact with the text yourself, you exactly. know, it's, it's not just us feeding you necessarily. It's, it's, it's you maybe asking really great questions that we need to wrestle with and look right. through the text as well. So we, I love that idea of the two-way conversation. That's awesome. Yeah. Chapter one on Sunday. It'll be a great time together. You know, whether you're, we hope you could come in person, but if, if you're not there yet or can't do that, Listen, or watch, on the other side of the world. Watch online. Listen, if you're listening on the other side of the world or in Latin or Central South America here on this side of the world, we love you. And so we want this to be a great time of growing together in Christ. 